And now, The Mentors Radio, one of the most popular and unique shows on the air today. Here each week, remarkable CEOs and leaders, including hosts Tom Laurie and Dan Hesse, and their guests will mentor you, challenging your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their ethical leadership and advice, and for helping others succeed throughout their careers, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Learn more and check out the show notes at TheMentorsRadio.com. That's TheMentorsRadio.com. And now, here's your mentor. Hi, I'm Tom Laurie, your host for today, and I'm really glad you joined us for this special edition of The Mentors. The Department of Justice and the FBI have been in the national spotlight over the last year or more. What happens when prosecutors use false criminal charges to destroy people and companies? Only those who are really wealthy and unbroken can stand up to a miscarriage of justice. Virtually all of us today are in danger, even when we've done nothing wrong. Today, our guest mentor, Howard Root, will be sharing his story of when a few unscrupulous prosecutors conned by a desperate whistleblower tried to put his company out of business and put him in jail. Howard started his career as a corporate lawyer, but soon turned into an entrepreneur and never looked back. He founded the Minnesota-based medical device company, Vascular Solutions, in 1997 and continued to build and run it for 20 years, inventing and launching over 100 new cardiovascular devices and creating over 650 U.S. jobs along the way. In February of 2017, Howard sold this company to Teleflex for $1 billion. His motivation to sell was not money, but rather exhaustion. Welcome, Howard. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for inviting me on your show. Well, I want to get right into the story uh, about how you lived a true legal nightmare and uh, based on false accusations. And we'll dig in on this, but give us a 60,000-foot view uh, to get people uh, oriented to the story that we're going to be talking about. Sure, I'll give you a quick summary of the background. And, and the story is it's somewhat unbelievable. I mean, I, I think some people in America have had uh, an associate, a friend, an acquaintance that's gotten charged falsely accused of something and seen it, and if you haven't, it's almost one of those surreal experiences you can't believe occurs in America. So so I was uh, a CEO of a medical device company that I had started. We had uh, about 300 employees. We had about 50 medical devices. And based on one disgruntled former employee's accusations, a couple of assistant U.S. attorneys in San Antonio and D.C. decided to make me their target of a criminal investigation. Now, in medical device land, you know, you have medical devices that can hurt people or that can do damage or that could be sold without approval. There's all kinds of things you could do that would be wrong and illegal. None of that was what was accused or that I was accused of doing. What they accused me of doing was running a medical device company that a couple of our sales reps said the word perforator varicose vein rather than saphenous varicose vein when they sold a product that made up 0.1% of our sales to a doctor, legally, approved by the FDA, but by saying the word perforator, 
these prosecutors thought it turned a legal sale into an illegal sale, and me being the CEO was responsible for that, and so they prosecuted me, and they went through five years of uh, trying to put me in prison and destroy my company, ending in uh, a jury down in San Antonio about two years ago, coming back with a not guilty verdict, and me being allowed to go back to my business. But as you said, at the end of that, I was pretty much exhausted of really managing a medical device company where the government can come after you for anything a salesperson says and try to put you in prison. And so that's when I made the decision to just sell the company and retire. I'm 56 years old. I've been doing it for 20 years. Thought I'd do it for at least another 10. But here I am in Minnesota, retired, not in medical devices, because I'm fearful of what the government can do to try to put me in prison. And tried to put you in prison. It's there. <laughs> I am uh, obviously Howard has written a book called Cardiac Arrest, which is available, and we'll post it on the website after the show. And when I read the book, uh, this story really resonated with me. I've been in the medical device field, and I've seen a number of things over the course of my career, not only in the business world, but early in my career down in Fort Lauderdale, one of my employees had a son who wore a leather jacket, had a couple of tattoos, and hung out with people that uh, they were maybe not bad people, but they were different. And the sheriff went after them and did everything he could to try and put them in jail, even though they did not uh, commit any crimes. And I became aware of the power of the government early in my career. And as obviously, as I've moved along and seeing what's gone on and certainly heard Howard's story, uh, this really resonates in terms of uh, what happens when prosecutors who have a great deal of power and money decide to go after you or me or our companies or our fa any member of our family. It is truly terrifying. Now, right. it, that, yeah, it's, it's, go ahead. It's so terrifying to everyone. I, I don't think people understand the power of prosecutors. Uh, they have more power than virtually anyone in America because they can charge anyone with a crime. They can arrest you. They can call a grand jury and put you in front of it or your friends in front of it. They can coerce testimony, and they can take that and put you through a multi-year, multi-million dollar ringer, and all the way through that time, everyone will think that you're guilty. And only at the end of that process, the lucky few who have the money that I fortunately had can fight it and actually win and even then, you're still clouded with this allegation that federal prosecutors indicted you on a crime. So it's, it's one of those things people ignore because I don't think they can deal with it. And I wasn't really paying attention to it before this hit me about five years ago. Yeah, you mentioned to me uh, when we talked over the phone last week that you've given quite a few talks on this over the last year. And you estimated that 50% of the people were shocked and the other 50% thought you still did something wrong. Could you talk about that in terms of your right. reaction, it, what you've seen? It, it's just amazing to me. I was I wrote the book, Cardiac Arrest, and I started talking about it. I've given over 50 talks to different groups, whether it's medical device people or white-collar criminal defense lawyers or just business people around the community or individuals, whatever reason they're there. And it's almost a 50-50 reaction. 50% of the audience will be shocked at what prosecutors can do and have done and did to me and my employees, not just me, but our employees that were dragged through this process. And the other 50%, it will just be almost as if it's not a real story. It's almost as if I'm selling something that's fictional, and they will think that I must have done something to cause this. Prosecutors wouldn't do this. They don't suspend their disbelief of what could happen in America, and it's because they've never seen anything like it. But once you've seen this, 
after that, you always kind of understand what the power of prosecutors are. But until you go through it, it's hard to grasp what the process is if someone in the prosecution office gets you in the crosshairs. Well, we're going to go to break. And when we come back, Howard, let's talk about how they use or abuse their power and how the justice system was used to distort justice and abuse and really uh, violated individual liberties guaranteed by the Constitution. We'll be right back. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. This is Tom Laurie. Welcome back. We're talking with Howard Root today about your, our trust in government, and his story will probably take you to new depths and confirm your worst fears. Howard, let's talk uh, a little bit about the uh, prosecutors. Uh, there was a lot of abuse that took place uh, as you were, I guess one question to start out with, it's my understanding they wouldn't even sit down and talk to you or they were going to meet you but never talk to you to find out what the real facts were. Right. I, I went into this and I was a lawyer by training and, and some of my friends have been in the U.S. Attorney's Office and the County Attorney's Office. And so I always thought that prosecutors were motivated by getting the truth and getting to justice. That's the way I approached this. And, and a lot of them are. I mean, this is not a, a situation where every prosecutor is bad, but just like in any other walk of life, there are some that are motivated by, I would say, ill, Ill intentions. And, and the prosecutors, in, in our case, I, I presume that they were about truth, and so I offered right at the beginning to sit down with them and talk about what this allegation was and how this allegation was nonsense. And uh, we had it scheduled, and a, a week before that meeting, they canceled it, and they refused to talk with me. Instead, what they wanted to do was to talk to my employees one by one and sit them down and say, you, employee, have a choice. Either you're going to give us the evidence that we want to hear, or we're going to make you a target or a subject of this investigation. And, oh, by the way, that means that if someone gets indicted, it might be you. And even if you're not indicted, if the company pleads guilty to something, which they always do, we're going to have a couple of employees fired, and you might be on that list. So instead of trying to find the truth, they had the facts that this disgruntled employee had given to them, which partly were true and a lot were false, and from that they created their own narrative of what we had done, and now they were out gathering the information. And what they really wanted to find was a CEO that they could pin this charge to, that they could go after, to make an example, to tell other CEOs that you have to obey us, you must do the right thing, you are guilty because you are a public company CEO in America today. And I just would never have guessed that. I would never have said that before I started this whole experience. And now, in hindsight, I can see it clear as day. Prosecutors are rewarded for getting large settlements and convictions. They're not rewarded for letting innocent people go free. And so if that's the motivation, if that's the incentives, if that's the rewards, that's what they get more of. And as a result, they look for people like me that they can try to put behind bars. And then when you combine that motivation with the powers that they have to compel testimony, to investigate, to subpoena documents, to really go after every one of our customers, they interviewed over 50 customers and former employees trying to get someone to tell them what they wanted to hear so they could that, use that to get me indicted, to try to put me in prison. Uh, and they could do everything except for the conviction. They can destroy anyone in America up until when the jury 
gets the case, and then the jury has a decision of whether you're guilty or innocent. In our case, when it got to trial, the whole case fell apart for the prosecution. The jury came back not guilty on all counts. The jury said that what the government had done to me and my company was nothing short of criminal. That's what one employee, one juror told me after the case. And keep in mind, we did not even call a single witness to testify at trial. This was just the government's case and us cross-examining them. It all fell apart. What became obvious was we had not committed a crime. We had done everything according to the book. The jury agreed. The government got beat. But we just were given our keys to our business back and say, go back and have at it. There's no punishment at the end for a prosecutor who does this type of false allegation and false prosecution. So it just really opens your eyes when you get to it. And, and from that, I think there are some important takeaways for businesses to be aware of what I wasn't even aware of before this whole experience started for me. This is Tom Laurie. If you just joined us, this is The Mentors. We're talking with Howard Root. We're talking about how the D- Department of Justice and prosecutors abused its power and took uh, him and his company, a very successful company in the medical device field, uh, to court. And Howard is sharing his story of uh, the abuse of power. Uh, and we're seeing more and more of this today. Now, Howard, when we get to the story, too, I, as I recall that there's a background or some context with regards to the judges that were involved. Well, yeah, so the, you, you get involved in this and you see what the prosecutors are doing. And keep it in mind that these prosecutors, they took grand jury testimony of one witness and read it to another witness and said, your testimony has to be consistent with this, otherwise you will be fired or you will be prosecuted. Now that, to me, I mean, you can't violate the secrecy of grand juries. Prosecutors are prohibited from doing that. You can't threaten a witness to change their testimony. This is really, really bad conduct. So I hired the law firm, and we had an expensive law firm, and did all the research. They were appalled by it. And we went to the judge, and we said to the judge, here's what the prosecutors have done. We thought the judge would get involved. Now, I don't want to say that all judges are bad, because that's not my point, and I don't believe that. But the prosecutors and the judges are together almost in close proximity for their entire career. A lot of judges came out of the prosecutorial ranks, and a lot of the judges see the prosecutors every single day, and they're part of the federal government. So the prosecutors get a, a pass from the judges in almost all these cases. It's very hard to have a judge look at prosecutorial misconduct and take a stand. There's only a few judges in America where I've seen them do that. Instead, they want to believe, they being the judges, want to believe that prosecutors are doing the right thing for the right reason. And so the judge, in our case, didn't call a hearing to find out what actually happened, didn't ask for any other information, but instead just held that what the prosecutors did was not misconduct, and even if it was misconduct, it wouldn't be enough to throw out the indictment. So he just basically kicked the can down the road and ignored it, and we were left going to trial. So every check that I thought would be along the system, you know, someone brings a false accusation, certainly the prosecutors will listen to you. Mine didn't. Certainly there'll be someone at the main justice, the Department of Justice in D.C. that you can appeal to. We tried that. They didn't even list, they listened one hour, threw it back to the people in San Antonio. The prosecutor there didn't want anything to do to it. You think your senator might get involved. So Senator Amy Klobuchar, who I've known for 25 years, I got her office involved. She declined to get involved at all, won't even ask the question. And then you think the judge will get involved and throw something out if it's so ridiculous. He won't even get involved. 
So you have to go through all of that process, multiple years, millions of dollars, until you can get into the courtroom where American justice takes over and you have to be tried and found guilty beyond a reasonable doubt by a jury of your peers or else you're innocent. And at that case, the whole, charge, the whole case changed and the, the prosecutor's case fell apart. But we spent $25 million over five years defending ourselves against these allegations. At the end of it, we win without calling a witness, but there's no way for us to recover that money or certainly recover the time or even recover you know, our reputation because people still see Vascular Solutions as a company that was indicted. And they think, well, that must have done something wrong. Otherwise, you wouldn't have been indicted. There's no way to get your reputation back after you go through this process. And it's not just business that goes through this in America. It's also people in everyday life. And in the culture of sexual assault and allegations of sexual assault, the Duke lacrosse team is a notable case. Making a murderer with a guy in, in Milwaukee who was charged with things. You can go on and on and on and find problems with prosecutors having too much power with little checks and controls that are able to destroy innocent people in America. And that's, you know, in my retirement, that's the cause that I'm champion. We need to find a way to push back against that, put some checks and balances in place, and get back to justice in the Department of Justice. I couldn't agree with you more, and I have not been uh, a victim as you have uh, of the process, but I have seen enough of it. I I remember uh, years ago, uh, I have... uh, uh, some relatives who were in the Air Force, and when one of them was graduating from the Air Force Academy, one of the mother's uh, new boyfriend, uh, who was with the FBI, was at dinner with us, and he he noted uh, uh, he wanted to share with everybody the big change at the FDA uh, is that he was now able to carry a gun. Now I'm in the medical device field. I can't imagine what an FDA inspector needs to carry a gun to come into my plant for, right. uh, but. This is an expansion of uh, the government, an expansion of power, and uh, we're, we're vulnerable. And well, uh, when we come back, we're going to continue talking with Howard Root and how David beat Goliath uh, when the government abused power and, and bullied him and his company into uh, a national court case. And now... Back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. This is Tom Lorry. Welcome back. We're with Howard Root talking about how the Department of Justice used shakedown tactics to try and coerce employees and customers into testifying uh, in a situation that was a injustice to a company and to an individual. Howard, when you, in the last segment, uh, one thing you were talking about is this uh, using testimony to, uh, and giving testimony that was given in the grand jury to other witnesses and trying to get them to testify the same. The thing that really, and it really resonated with me was you had one employee in particular who really stood her ground. Uh, and she was really intimidated. They threatened her with uh, not seeing her children again, uh, going to prison. Could you share that story with us? Yeah, in, in my book, Cardiac Arrest, there's a chapter in there written by uh, one of our employees, a female, who was uh, brought into the, be interviewed by the prosecutors and brought it through. And there's there's a couple of different employees that were in similar situations. But you know, they, they, like me, thought, well, all I have to do is tell the truth, 
to these prosecutors, and so they go in and they sit down and they prosecutors ask them questions. It's a voluntary interview, and they tell them the truth, and and then the prosecutors say, no, 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 that's not what happened, and uh, this is what happened, and then the prosecutors say, that's not the law, this is the law, and your company broke the law, and then to put teeth behind it, I mean, the prosecutors actually threatened one employee that they had the power over the rights and privileges provided to her natural-born son. You know, a not-so-veiled threat that if you don't toe the line and say what exactly we want you to say, and they told her what it was because they read the grand jury transcripts of other witnesses and, and, the, and the whistleblower, the disgruntled employee, to find uh, excerpts of what they wanted this woman to say. If you don't toe that line, uh, you're, you may not see your child for a while because you certainly won't have a job and you may be in prison. And then they, they sweeten the other side saying, but if you do say what we want you to say, well, then you'll have immunity and you'll be free. And when we get this company to bow down to us, then your job will be safe. Someone's going to lose their job. Someone's probably going to go to prison. But if you tell me this, this, and this, it won't be you. And, and when you're an employee who has no legal background, who's kind of involved in this, doesn't know the law that much, and is listening to prosecutors tell them all these supposedly bad things that their company did, which are not true, and then threaten that you're going to lose your child if you don't say exactly what the prosecutors want you to say, well, you can imagine that's incredibly persuasive, and they will say whatever the prosecutor wants them to say. We had a couple of employees who actually stood up to that. I don't, I don't know how they found the courage to do that, but they, they believed in what they believed in, they knew what they knew, and they said what they said. One employee got indicted for perjury because he wouldn't you know, admit what the prosecutors wanted him to say. He was scheduled to stand trial a month after me, but after we won our trial, the prosecutors dismissed the charges against him and walked away. Another employee was threatened with being fired. Another employee threatened with her children and not, not being around her anymore. It's, it was one of these things, I, I explained it to one of my investors. I said, you know, here's as much as I can tell you before the trial went on. Here's what we're going through. And he looked at me and said, you know, I, I, I recognize this. I've seen this before, but that's only because I was born in Latin America. <laughs> and you step back and you go, you're right. This just does not resemble America. I had no idea of what some prosecutors could do in this country and that's why when we got done with it, I decided to write the book, because I think a lot of people don't understand what can happen, especially if you're in business, paying attention to all the details you have to pay attention to. You never think that the prosecutors are going to just show up at your doorstep one day with a subpoena, ask for documents, and make you the target of a criminal prosecution and threaten to put you in prison. And I am one of the most fortunate criminal defendants in America. I had $25 million to spend on this. If you don't have at least a million... There's no way you can put a credible defense against the federal prosecutors. With $25 million, I knew that we could have a good defense, and that's what we needed. I also had the support of a board of directors who kept me in my position. I had employees willing to stand behind me. And I was a lawyer by training, so I knew how to deal with my defense counsel, which is its own um, massive issue when you get into these situations. So without all that, I think I would be in prison today. If I'd been convicted, I would have done a minimum of three years in prison. For nothing. For nothing. It, it's incredible when I even say it now that that's what the justice system in America can result in.
In case you just tuned in, I'm Tom Laurie, and you're listening to The Mentors Radio. More information on today's show and past shows is available on the web at thementorsradio.com. That is thementorsradio.com. Today we're talking with Howard Root about Department of Justice prosecutors and their abuse of power and how they use the justice system to distort justice and abuse individual liberties guaranteed by the Constitution. You know, when I hear your story, Howard, how how did you keep your sanity? Five years, intense pressure, running a company. How did what did you do to maintain your sanity through all of this? Well, my my uh, my assistant, my administrative assistant, said when I was going through it, she, she she's known me for fifteen years, and she said, you know, there's some point in life where everything you've done comes to one event, and you're there for a reason to be that person to do that and you're built for it that's your calling that's what you need to do and you can do it and i never thought my life would come together like that i you know i was a a lawyer by training who got into medical devices early in my career so i had that legal background i had started this company from square one and grown with it i'd become a developer of medical devices i knew this product inside and out and i'd gone through trials on other things whether it's a patent issue not a criminal thing but civil litigation here and there. And so uh, I, I knew the company, I knew the people, I knew the product, I knew the law, I knew the lawyers, and all of that allowed me to participate in this defense like no other defendant could in America. And, you know, the, the biggest danger for a defendant is to be sitting there waiting, waiting for the indictment, waiting for the trial. And these waiting is not weeks or days or months, it's years. I always had something to do. I had a company to work at. I had products to develop. I had sales to make. I had lawyers to manage. I could go down there and read their briefs, and I could work on them as well. I could do some legal research if I wanted to. And by staying occupied on productive things and managing my defense and being able to work with the lawyers, I could actually keep my sanity. But, again, that goes back to me being one of the most fortunate criminal defendants in America because since I wrote the book, I get calls from defendants across the country now at least once a month and as i go through it i i see people who are not as fortunate they don't have the money they don't have the support they don't have the family behind them they don't have the employees behind them and if you don't i fear for you i mean the federal government and the department of justice is an incredibly powerful organization and if you are not able to fight against that it's almost as if it's a unwinnable war even if you've done nothing wrong and and for me I was just so fortunate with my background and everything and the timing to be able to fight back and win. And how did your wife uh, manage through all of this? Well, it's, uh, I got an amazing wife, uh, and she's um, she's stronger than I am. And uh, the one time she got upset at me was when we had to do our press release after we got indicted. And obviously you can imagine the lawyers don't want the defendant to say anything. We're a public company, so we got to keep our shareholders together. And and so we had all this crafted out, but at the last second, the, the lawyers uh, put the stop on a lot of the things I wanted to say. And, and that's when she got upset about, you've got to stand your ground, and you've got to make sure that you can do what you need to keep your company together through this trial. So she was a rock behind me and keeping me on the page. And she always knew that we didn't do anything wrong, so it wasn't a question of that. It was a question of whether we had the ability and the money and the time and the support to get all the way through trial and ultimately we did well we have to go back to break and or take a break and we'll be back in a minute and we're talking with howard root and we'll continue talking about his david taking on goliath 
And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. If you just joined us, you're listening to The Mentors. I'm Tom Laurie, your host for today. We're talking with Howard Root. Howard wrote a book called Cardiac Arrest, which uh, reads like a thriller about his five years uh, dealing with the Department of Justice and the injustice uh, that was brought to bear on him and his company. We've covered a lot of the uh, case, and, and there's a lot of learnings that come out of this for all of us, uh, and particularly for people that are running businesses. Uh, a couple of questions I have along those lines are, uh, tell me about the value of your gut. Uh, you you went through uh, a, a change in lawyers and everything, and uh, obviously you are a lawyer, but it's a fascinating story, and those of us who run companies you know, picking a lawyer, and you did some made some gutsy calls on those lawyers. Just briefly, tell us about that. Right, that's that's one of the hardest things to do. And uh, when you get involved in these situations, especially if you're not thinking it's going to happen because you don't think you're a criminal, so why should someone accuse you of a crime? You're not at the ready with a legal team, you know, ready to go. And so you take the lawyer from your outside counsel who's got some criminal defense experience, and you plug and play, and you bring them in and. And uh, I've always said this, it's, it's not complimentary toward lawyers, but I, I think it's absolutely true. I've seen more companies destroyed by their own lawyer than by the other side's lawyer. And your lawyer can do so much more damage to you in these situations, either by being too aggressive or by being too passive or spending too much money or not having a plan. And in the end, the lawyer doesn't get hurt. Maybe the lawyer doesn't collect all the bill, but the lawyer's not going to prison. You're going to go to prison. And so that connection, the ability to work with your lawyer on a defense that matches what this case is about is so critical. And then the important thing is, if it's not working, you have to sometimes fire your lawyer and get a new one. Uh, If you don't have the right team, you can't just say, this is going to work. You have to get the best team you can when you're talking about a criminal charge that might put you in prison. Now, I had the advantage, again, because I had the money to do this. A lot of people don't have that ability, but you've got to be able to find the lawyer that fits for what you want. In my case, the first lawyer that I just plugged and played, he was someone who I was you know, trying to work with and trying to get up to speed and getting in place, but he was a former prosecutor by training. His whole experience was in the prosecutorial world, and then he came into a big law firm for a couple of years, but he still approached the case as if the prosecutors were right and we had a cow toe to the prosecutors. And I kept pushing back. We haven't done anything wrong. We're not going to admit we did anything wrong. And he said, well, we're just going to work with them. We're going to give them what they want. And I go, that's appeasement. The appeasement's not going to work. Let's talk about it. And eventually he just sent me a letter and said, I think it's best if I resign. He basically quit. Well, if a lawyer wants to not work for you, the rule is you, you don't work with that lawyer. You don't have an unwilling lawyer representing you in a criminal defense. So then I went on to a second lawyer and had a scramble for that. And the second lawyer, when he's approaching our board of directors, uh, said, well, you know, I, I think you know, we're going to have to work really, really hard to keep Howard from getting put in prison. <laughs> well, my second lawyer didn't have much defense in him. He also came out of the prosecution side. He also took the government's kind of position on things. He didn't delve into the real reasons why we never committed a crime, we hadn't done anything wrong, and he just saw this as a public company that needs to be protected, and by protected, the CEO needs to get thrown under the bus. And we weren't going to approach it that way. So the second lawyer, I said, that's, that's not going to work for us. 
I, I, you got to be fired. And I went out and searched for the best law firm I could find. I found lawyers out in D.C., King and Spalding, Mike Pose and John Richter were the two lawyers that I gravitated toward and enlisted them, and they got up to speed. And once they got up to speed, even though they had been in the Department of Justice, even though they were trained as prosecutors before doing defense work, they could understand what it took to defend a client who was a public company and a CEO. They took the time to dig in to see how this was not a crime. They saw how the prosecutors manipulated the evidence, and then they came up with an adequate, a great, I would say, defense strategy against that. So the, the key thing is to manage your lawyers, and if it's not working, find a new lawyer. So few people are able to do that because if the lawyer says this is what we should do, people just naturally say, okay, the lawyer said it, that's what I have to do. I was fortunate being a lawyer myself with a good board of directors that were able to change and get the right lawyers for the case. If not, again, I think I would be in prison today instead of talking about my book. In case you've just tuned in, I'm Tom Laurie. You're listening to The Mentors Radio. More information on today's show and past shows is available on the web at TheMentorsRadio.com. That's TheMentorsRadio.com. Today we're talking with Howard Root and his battle with the Department of Justice against an injustice. And he's shown that you're, in his case, you're guilty until proven innocent. And just a reminder for those that may have tuned in late, Remind us what the verdict was at the end of this five-year trial. So at the end of the five-year investigation, prosecution, indictment, we get to trial. The government puts on three weeks' worth of, worth of their witnesses. We get done with their case, and we don't call a single witness. We rest. We go to closing arguments. The jury comes back the next day, not guilty on all counts. One juror emails me an hour after the verdict saying that what the government did to me, my company, and my employees is nothing short of criminal. She wanted to throw the prosecutors in prison and let me go free, and we didn't call a single witness to testify in our defense. That's how, dis- how, how completely messed up this whole prosecution was. And in, in all of this, in the discovery, and I won't get into all the legal details, it's been uh, my experience that discovery, and I want to talk briefly about depositions, the value of depositions, and also because a lot of companies don't pay a lot of attention to it, the liability surrounding emails. Right. Well, when you get into these cases, you realize that every document is a problem, uh, that retaining all the documents from Salesforce and emails and texts can create issues. They'll never set you free, but it can be something that prosecutors grab onto. So compliance systems start with document retention, what we want to keep and what we want to get rid of. Then it goes to instructing your employees on what they need to do to stay compliant with the law. Then what they do if they see a violation and how you investigate that and make sure that everything is documented in detail. It's incredibly laborious to do compliance the right way. But I saw the firsthand benefits of that because if you get accused and you can't go back to the training you did, if you can't go back to the records you had, if you have emails and texts floating around with salespeople saying stupid things, which they sometimes do, that can be the difference between you being innocent and going to prison. So paying attention to the compliance for business people is especially important, given what the Department of Justice and prosecutors across this country can do to you. When you think back to uh, your early life, what, what, were, what was your, your path that you thought you were going to take? Well, I never thought I'd be a medical device CEO. I thought I'd be a lawyer. I thought I was going to be a litigator originally, and then I liked corporate law more. 
And then from corporate law, I like the idea of working in a corporation rather than billing by the hour. And once I got in a corporation in Minnesota, we have a lot of medical device companies. And our medical device companies are great. That's the company I took a job in. And why can't I do the business side of things? And then I found out that I really like the technical side, and I, I like doing development. So I liked inventing and developing medical devices, which I've done for the last 20 years. But looking, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, coming out of high school, college, never would have guessed this would have my career path. But it was so great. It was wonderful. I wish I'd be doing it for another 10 years. When we come back after the break, we'll continue our discussion with Howard Root and his battle with the federal government and the injustices that were brought to him and his company. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, your host for today. We're talking with Howard Root and the material, the book he wrote, Cardiac Arrest, which details the story of his battle with the Department of Justice as they went after him and his company uh, unjustly. I know you've had a lot of learnings yourself having gone through this, and you've got a number of recommendations that you would like to see the federal government or the I guess all governments, all levels of government, implement. What what are some of the key uh, learnings through all of this with regards to how prosecution is handled? Yeah, I think there's a couple of important things we could do to improve justice as it applies to business in America. And the first one is, is this concept that's crept into justice that's called strict liability crimes, which means they can try to put someone in prison. They can put someone in prison for something that they did not do, that they didn't tell anyone to do, that they didn't know that someone did, and they could have even told them not to do it, but they did it anyway. A strict liability means there's no intent required at all. And as a business person, if you're the responsible corporate officer, you are responsible for every act of those employees, which means in my case I had 100 sales reps. If a sales rep says the wrong word, even a word I didn't tell them to say, didn't know they said, or I told them not to say it, I have committed that crime as well as the sales rep, and I can go to prison for it. Now, that's ridiculous. That's just not justice in any way, shape, or form. And that's kind of one of the first things to step back on the criminalization of business. The second thing is on the indictments. I mean, uh, people in in Department of Justice should measure twice, cut once. They should look at an independent assessment of whether to indict a business on a felony charge. The indictment alone is such a serious event. It's not just an allegation. That alone can destroy people. And if there's not an independent review within the Department of Justice, they're going to make mistakes. Then the one thing that I hate was they do publicity when you get indicted, not when you get convicted. And so the Department of Justice makes it look like you're guilty, even when they're just bringing charges. And they did a press release with quote upon quote, and that needs to stop. That's three quick things they could do that would make a difference in getting to justice in these business prosecutions. What are you doing today? I mean, I I usually ask the question about uh, who do you mentor, but it's clear to me that with the work you're doing, speaking and everything, you are doing a lot of mentoring. Uh, But what in particular are you doing today? You're you're a great entrepreneur, and I hate to see people like you lost to the industry. Right. Yeah, unfortunately, I made the decision that I just didn't feel like I wanted to start one again or to run an existing business, so I, I left the medical device business. I think writing the book. I mean, anyone who's in the medical device business should read the book just to get the idea of what to be ready for 
if it should unfortunately happen to them. And then I started talking about it. But also I'm trying to, to lobby in Congress to get some changes made in the justice system. Senator Grassley from Iowa and Senator Lee from Utah have uh, sent letters to the Department of Justice asking for explanation of what they did in this case. And shining the spotlight on prosecutorial misconduct is the first step to getting it corrected. And then, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of working a little bit outside the industry. I'm actually working on an electric boat company, of all things, just because I want something to stay active and have fun, but I'm not willing to take all the responsibility of a multi-billion-dollar medical device company ever again. So, uh, unfortunately, I'm chased out of doing what I wanted to do by our own government, but I'm not going to fight that and, and risk giving them a second shot at coming after me. Through all your years as a lawyer and then as an entrepreneur and certainly the uh, work that you did, what are the attributes of those people that you've met along the way that are the most content and the happiest you've met? Well, I think to me, I mean, success is important to being happy, at least success at some level. You don't have to be the richest person or the biggest company but at least have something that's actually producing and creating and, and accomplishing. And then a little bit of balance in your life. I've seen people who are so driven to be successful in business that they exclude their family, they exclude their parents, they exclude their children, and that's not the recipe for success. So having some balance while being successful is important. And the last part of it that I've seen, the difference between successful people and happy people and unsuccessful are really people who get their work done getting it accomplished and getting it achieved. We always were looking for that when we were hiring. I look at that if I do investments in companies. I want to back people who actually finish the job 100%. If you do that, you've got a chance of success. If you don't, if you don't finish a project, there's no way the project can be successful because it simply isn't done. So to me, that's the recipe in business for success, and success goes a starting point at least of being happy. Howard, this has been great. I really appreciate your insights that you've, uh, first of all, the story and then the insights that came out of that with regards to uh, what's going on with the uh, government, Department of Justice. We're reading, we're hearing a lot more about it on TV today. You've got a personal story that's been uh, truly remarkable. It's not, the ending you had as an entrepreneur is not the ending that most people have, uh, but it was a very uh, valuable ending in a sense that you're able to communicate to all of us about what uh, has and can take place for all of us today. Thank you very much for joining us. I want to um, remind our listeners that uh, Thomas Jefferson had a famous quote, when government fears the people, there is liberty. When the people fear the government, there's tyranny. If you like what you heard and want to share it with your friends or tuned in late, you can hear the whole show, get show notes, links, and more at our website, TheMentorsRadio.com. That's TheMentorsRadio.com. And don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Mentors Radio. On behalf of Rick Brutico and myself, Tom Laurie, be all that you can be and keep the candle lit for all who struggle in the darkness. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.TheMentorsRadio.com. The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.